And now it is time for our study of the Word of God. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 20 through 22. So Gospel of John, chapter 21, and we're just going to look at these three verses this morning, verses 20 through 22. I'm going to read the passage as a whole. And then we'll pray and we'll see what the Lord has for us in his word this morning. John 21, 20 through 22. This is the word of the Lord. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter seeing him, said to Jesus, But, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning because we've been made in your image. We've been created to know you, to worship you, to be formed in your image. Lord, we confess that we have all, like sheep, gone astray. We have followed too much the desires of our own hearts. Our minds have so often strayed from your word. We have fallen short of the glory of God. But we believe, because you love us, you refuse to leave us in that condition. You have sent your son Jesus into the world, not that the world would be condemned, but that through your son Jesus, the world might be saved. Lord, this morning as we listen to your word, as it is preached as it is expounded, as it is applied to our lives, Father, we pray you would be glorified in us. Lord, we pray that you would recalibrate our minds and our hearts, reset the compass of our souls so that it always points towards Jesus Christ as our true north. Lord, we pray you would grant us a capacity to hear your word, not as the word of men, but as the very word of God. I pray that anyone this morning, or perhaps later as they watch the recording, who finds their hearts discouraged, cast down, depressed, Lord, I pray that through this message they would find encouragement 
comfort, hope, and most of all, a greater vision of Jesus Christ. We ask for your blessing now over these words of mine. May they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me give you a little bit of background and context as to where we are this morning as we look at John 21, 20 through 22. So this particular event, this conversation between Jesus and Peter takes place during the third post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. So Jesus has already been on the scene for years, ministering the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's been teaching his disciples all along that he was going to have to suffer and die, something that no matter how many times Jesus said it, it was something that they truly could not comprehend. His own followers, though they did genuinely believe in Jesus, at least to some extent, yet when it came to the cross, when it came to suffering and death, for whatever reason, they were unable to process and fully receive what Jesus said about his own suffering and death. And so Jesus died, and as I've mentioned on Easter Sunday, not one person, not one disciple, upon Jesus dying said, Hooray, in just a few days he'll be raised from the dead. Not a single one. As a matter of fact, when the women first discovered that the tomb was empty, not one said, oh, the tomb's empty because Jesus has been risen from the dead. Rather, they said, well, his body must have been stolen, and they began to weep. And when the women ran back to the disciples and told them that the tomb was empty, the disciples did not say, hooray, he is risen. Rather, they were also thinking the body must be stolen, and, and they run to the tomb. And it was only slowly but surely, as various pieces of evidence were presented to the followers of Jesus, were they able to recalibrate the reality of Jesus' words. And as we saw, it took a different amount of evidence and different kinds of evidence for each person. For John, we saw that all it took for John, and this was amazing, it took evidence but all it took for John was seeing the, the clothes, the cloths that Jesus' dead body had been wrapped in. They were removed from his body and sitting neatly folded there in the tomb. For others, it took actually seeing Jesus in the flesh. We know others got to see Jesus in the flesh, and Thomas missed out on that first appearance of Jesus in the flesh. And, and all he wanted, effectively, was what everybody else seem to get. And eventually Thomas does receive that. But we see when it came to suffering and death, that was something that even when it was in regard to Jesus, it was very, very difficult to comprehend. Now, while coming to terms with the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most central and important thing that Christians that would be followers of Jesus must come to terms with, yet I would say a close second is the necessity of followers of Jesus coming to terms with the own, their own suffering and death that they are called to carry and to bear in this life. That can be an extremely difficult thing. And I believe that is what we are seeing here. 
with the Apostle Peter. He's come to terms with the fact that yet Jesus died and he suffered. But when Jesus informs Peter that his road will be like unto his, that he too will one day stretch out his arms and be carried where he doesn't want to go, and the end of his life will be cut short, by a horrific martyr's death. And that was apparently and understandably troubling for Peter. So in this appearance of Jesus to Peter, what's been happening is the disciples were fishing all night. This is actually the third appearance, post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. The disciples had been fishing all night fruitlessly. They had caught nothing. They knew that Jesus had said, go to Galilee and I'll meet you there. So they were just going back to their day job and like they normally would on a Monday, perhaps. And they're fishing up all night, working hard, and nothing came of it. And then the next thing they know, the dawn begins to break. And they see a figure, probably a shadowy figure, on that seashore. They can't make out who it is, but this shadowy figure calls to them from the beach and he says, have you any fish? And they said, sir, no, we, we tried all night. There's nothing. There's just no, there's no catch today. It's just not a good time. This indiscernible figure then says, well, cast your nets over the other side then. They figure, well, we're already out here. We fished all night. Okay, let's do it. So they do it, cast their nets on the other side, and what happens? A, a catch of a lifetime, 153 fish. It is a huge catch. Now, immediately, what the text tells us is that the beloved disciple, that is, we believe that's the disciple John, his memory is immediately triggered. He remembers, this is not the first time, such an event has happened. But there was another time, not recorded in John's gospel, but recorded in the gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. There in that story at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, a similar situation happened. Granted, it took place during the day. They did know that it was Jesus speaking to them, but at that point, they had really yet to understand who Jesus was in all of his, his glory. And after a fruitless labor of fishing, Jesus says effectively the same thing. Try again. And so they do. And, and there's a catch of fish. And so John's memory is triggered here. And he remembers it's the Lord. And he shouts this to his fellow disciples. When Peter hears this, that it's the Lord, the text says Peter jumps into the water. He casts himself into the water and begins charging towards Jesus. When he arrives on the shore, there's a fire prepared. A meal has been placed before them and a scene is being set. We talked about last week how this was a restoration service for Peter. That just as Peter's denial only recently took place around a fire, a charcoal fire, so too here Jesus has prepared a charcoal fire for Peter. And just as Peter denied the Lord three times, so now Jesus is restoring Peter by three times asking him if Peter truly loved him. 
And each time that Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I do, Jesus recommissions Peter to be an apostle, to be a pastor, to feed Jesus sheep. And so he restores Peter. And that's where we left off last week. But interestingly, immediately following this, Jesus makes a prediction. Jesus not only restores Peter and commissions him as an apostle, tasked with teaching the word of God, feeding the word of God as a primary duty. And yet Jesus goes a little bit further and he predicts the kind of death that Peter would die, namely a martyr's death. I mentioned this briefly last week, but some people could read this and say, gosh, you know, is that a reward or is that a punishment? Because it kind of sounds like a punishment. Is this Jesus' way, perhaps, of getting back at Peter for denying him? And I would want to suggest that it is actually a blessing in disguise. And, and here's the blessing. The blessing is that Peter previously, if you remember, he vowed that he would die with Jesus. He said, Lord, even if I have to die, I will die with you. Even if these other ones, these other disciples forsake you, I will not. You see, Peter had a desire to follow Jesus. But that desire to follow Jesus was met by the inability to carry it out. In the face of suffering and death, Peter's faith collapsed. He walked away. He denied Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing here is actually giving a blessing, which is when the Holy Spirit comes, Peter is going to be enabled to do what he desired to do. He had already desired to die with the Lord, but he found a weakness and an ability, inability, in his own strength, in his flesh. He could not carry it out. He said, Lord, I love you, but I don't always love you. Lord, I love you, but I fall short of your glory. Lord, I want to be willing to suffer for you, but I, I don't find in me always the ability to be faithful to the calling to suffer through trials. And so I believe Jesus is blessing Peter here, and yet I also don't want to pass over the fact that this prediction and therefore this calling of Peter to suffer and die a martyr's death, even with the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, is by no means an easy thing. And in this moment, when Peter hears the kind of death by which he's going to die. Notice what he does first. Verse 20. Then Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following who also had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Or excuse me, Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? So I want to point out three things that Peter does here. Because I believe this is very, very common. As a matter of fact, I think what Peter is doing here is quite natural. 
It is a natural instinct to do exactly what Peter does. But what I want to point out is that this natural thing that Peter does is a natural thing that you and I probably do, if not once in a while, perhaps frequently. And it is something that is actually detrimental to our walk with Jesus Christ. And so let's kind of break down and observe what happens here. So number one, Peter turned around. Notice that. Peter turned around. One of our first instincts many times when we're following Jesus and we encounter a trial, one of our first instincts in our flesh is to look to the left or look to the right. Our immediate fleshly instinct is to take our eyes off Jesus. And this is always a mistake. As a matter of fact, I would say this scene reminds me an awful lot of a previous scene in the Gospels with Peter and Jesus. If you remember, there was a story in which the disciples were out once again on their fishing boats at night, and a mysterious figure, it looked like a ghost, so it terrified these guys, but what looks like a ghost comes walking on the water. Eventually, Jesus draws nears enough to be recognizable. And Peter sees that it's Jesus. And Peter calls out and says, Lord, if it's you, call me to come to you. So Peter at first believes, Jesus, if you call me, I can walk on water. Jesus, if you call me, if you're with me, if you enable me, I can walk on water. The impossible becomes possible if Jesus calls me. And Peter was right. Jesus calls to Peter and Peter steps out of the boat and the impossible is happening. He's actually walking on water just like Jesus. But suddenly the water begins to move. And Peter once again turns around. He looks down at the water around him. And as he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he looks at his circumstances, he begins to sink. I think a similar thing is happening here. When Jesus lets Peter know that I love you, I've forgiven you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I have a calling, and that is a blessing, and that is a glorious thing. And it's the kind of thing many preachers and evangelists will tell people, the Lord loves you, and he has a wonderful call on your life. And that is 100% true. I want to reaffirm that this morning. The Lord loves you. And he has a wonderful call for your life. But there's one thing that many people who are more than willing to point out that God loves you and that he has a wonderful plan and purpose for your life. One of the things, unfortunately, many people neglect, perhaps because as soon as people hear this, they won't care that God loves them or that he has a wonderful plan for life, or they will disbelieve both of those things. And that is, even though somehow, some way, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan and purpose for your life, and yet, 
Part of that plan and purpose includes the cross. It includes suffering. It includes trials of various kinds, diverse kinds. And that is in no way irreconcilable to the fact that God loves us and has a wonderful plan and purpose for life. But we wrestle over that, just like Peter. But friends, what I want to say is, though just like Peter, we too will feel conflicted when the claim that God loves us and has a wonderful plan and purpose for our life, and then we encounter trials and tribulations and sufferings and the pain of the cross, when it conflicts on us, one of our natural things to do will be to turn around and see who's around, to begin looking at other people. But friends, we must not do this. So what I want to encourage you this morning is, first of all, don't turn around. Don't turn around. If following Jesus seems hard, simply follow harder. If following Jesus seems hard, simply follow harder. That natural instinct to turn, to look around, can be a fatal mistake for many people. It's the kind of thing where, in theory, well, maybe you can recover from that. Yes, probably you can. I think we all can probably say that's true. But I also know that for many people who have walked away and followed Jesus no more, it began quite simple with turning away. I lost a loved one in a car accident. This person that I loved betrayed me. I found out that I have cancer. I lost my job and the stock market crashed. I lost all my retirement and I started looking around. I started turning around. And for many people, that wasn't just a momentary reaction. It became a way of life. Following Jesus was something they left behind. And it began by turning around. And so I just want to encourage all of us, if following Jesus gets hard, Simply follow him harder. Do not turn around. Secondly, you'll notice that after Peter turned around, what did he do? He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter seeing him. So notice this. One of the things we tend to do is we tend to take our eyes off of Jesus and then we begin looking to someone or something else. We can begin looking to someone or something else. This is something that you and I must come to discern regularly. Lord, if I'm in a trial, I know that a natural tendency will, will be to turn around. But I believe what we need to do is acknowledge that the way we may desire to do that, to turn around, watch out. Because while we can recover, I think in a sense, sometimes quite quickly from turning around, yet here's a way in which we can get stuck in a rut. And that is if we actually turn our eyes to someone or something, because then that becomes an alternative to Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, if I'm in a trial and if I'm turning around, who or what am I looking to instead? 
And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, or it's this person or it's that person, in a sense, it doesn't really matter. If we fixed our eyes on someone other than Jesus, we are setting ourselves up for failure. In this instance, it was the Apostle John. Now, you could argue of all the people for people to put his eyes on, the Apostle John is not such a bad guy. After all, isn't he the guy whom Jesus loved? Was he not there at the Last Supper? Was he not there during the three years of the earthly ministry of Jesus? Isn't he a true believer? Again, so if we want to try to argue our way into the idea that it's not so bad to take our eyes off of Jesus and put them on someone else, as long as the person we're looking to is a Christian, or they're a good person, or they're a pastor, or a spiritual leader, or a theologian, or what have you. And yet, friends, I want to say that it actually doesn't matter who we're looking to other than Jesus. Because no one replaces Jesus in our life. Let me say that again. No one replaces Jesus in our life. Not a mother, not a father, not a sister, not a brother, not a son, not a daughter, not a husband, not a wife, not a pastor, not a counselor. No one can replace Jesus in your life. We have a tendency to look for replacements for Jesus. Many of us sometimes, oh yes, we want Jesus, but that's because I don't have her, or I don't have him. And then as soon as we get him or her, whoever that might be, then we kind of neglect Jesus. Okay, thanks Jesus for being there when I had no one, but now that I have someone, I don't need you so much. Friends, you could even make the argument, when God blesses you with relationships, when he blesses you with people, you need to work even harder to be all the more diligent in keeping your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Because the temptation can actually grow. I would even say the more godly a person is, the more close to Jesus they are, the more helpful they are in your walk, the bigger the tendency will be, therefore, to put your hope and trust in them rather than Jesus to whom at best they point. And we must never do that. Number three, Peter compares and questions. Peter compares and questions. Look at verse 21. Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Have you ever asked that question? But Lord, what about him? But Lord, what about her? Comparison is one of the most ubiquitous experiences of human life. We learn to compare. We quite literally grow up comparing ourselves to others. I can tell you as a parent of still small children that I would say not even a day goes by in which my little kids don't compare themselves to one another. If one of them gets an extra treat or their half of the ice cream sandwich is a little smaller or a little bigger or one of them has a different bedtime or one of them uh, looks like they got a bigger present under the tree at Christmas, kids are always comparing. 
And rather than simply being content with their lot in life that they've been given and the love that has been assured to them by their parents, they begin discerning whether they're okay or not, loved or not, blessed or not. Not on the basis of what they have in their relationship to their mother or father, but rather they begin comparing to one another. And it's comparison then that makes people feel either better or worse with respect to their lot in life. And friends, I want to suggest that this comparison is so ingrained in us that even those of us who are adults and we've become followers of Jesus, all of that practice throughout the course of our lives, comparing one another does not just magically disappear in a given moment. I would say rather it is deeply ingrained in us. We are constantly saying with Peter, but Lord, what about him? But Lord, what about her? I would even say in some ways, friends, we may have it harder than any group of people in the history of the world when it comes to the problem of comparison. While it's true that comparison was happening 2,000 years ago and even prior, we see it in the Old Testament as well. But in our day and age with social media, it is a fact a statistical fact that the usage of social media is directly related to people's levels of contentment and depression. As a matter of fact, a new study concludes that there is a causal link between the use of social media and negative effects on well-being, primarily depression and loneliness. The study was published in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology. They said this, quote, what we found overall is that if you use less social media, you are actually less depressed and less lonely, meaning that the decreased social media use is what causes that qualitative shift in your well-being, said Jordan Young, co-author of the paper and a senior at the University of Pennsylvania. Prior to this, all we could say was that there was an association between using social media and having poor outcomes with well-being, she said. The researchers say this is the first time a causal link has ever been established in scientific research, end quote. Friends, we are bombarded now with images of other people's lives. And even though many of us know, hopefully consciously, that when we view other people's lives, the things that they're posting, their Instagram photos of where they are and what they're doing and their accomplishments and all the people they're with and the exotic vacations they're getting to take, even though we may consciously know that all of those pictures and all of those statements and phrases and descriptions are carefully curated, even so... The impact that it has on us is clearly largely negative. Why is that? Because we compare ourselves. We compare ourselves. And when we say, Lord, what about them? We're, t we're turning around. We're taking our eyes off of Jesus. And we're beginning to ask, what about them?
And I would say that this is detrimental to following Jesus. Now, I'm certainly not against social media. We are redeeming, we are using that tool in a redemptive way as I speak. We are able to get the word of God, the gospel, the good news about what God has done to save sinners from their sins and what he is doing through those forgiven sinners to change the world. We can get that out. But nevertheless, the same tools and instruments that can be used for the greatest good can also be used for great evil. And we need to be mindful that though we are in no way advocating uh, being anti-technological and anti-social media, and yet what we must say is we must monitor ourselves. We must take inventory of our own lives. We must reflect on how even good things have an impact on us. And even if good things things good in themselves or neutral in themselves, if they begin to have a negative impact, then either we should stop using certain things or at the very least we begin to monitor those things. We limit those things. We say, I will use this for this and this purpose for this amount of time, but I will not do this, that, and the other if it leads me to turn around, to take my eyes off Jesus, and to start spending all this time and emotional energy asking what about him and what about her? Let me just wrap this up by applying some of these truths this morning to our lives. As I was preparing this message, praying over it, thinking about it for myself, my own life, because I know I need this message as much as anybody, but I believe there's a number of people out there that this message is intended for specifically this morning. It was my heart, my desire, my prayer that the discouraged this morning would be encouraged. I believe there's some single people out there that aren't just discouraged because they're single, but because they might be taking their, they might be turning around, looking at other people and saying, what about him or her? Maybe it's a younger brother or a sister and they're already married. There's some married people out there and they look at single people and the freedom they have, the ability to go the places and do the things they can no longer do. And they're going, what about him? What about her? There's people that are physically sick and they're looking at people who seem to have all the health in the world and go, look, look at them. What about her? What about him? There's people in business that aren't experiencing the levels of success that, uh, again, a friend might have, uh, an old roommate from college, and you go, wow, look at them. You may be driving from one part of town to another, and finances are super tight for you. It's hard to even go out to eat with your family, much less take a nice vacation. And you drive from where you are to the side of town where people have so many houses and vacations, and you're like, gosh, what about them? Friends, I believe that the greatest sense of t discontentment with, that we have this morning is not because what God has given us is not good enough, that Jesus is not faithful, but rather we have engaged in the fruitless and even discouraging task of comparison. And I believe that Jesus wants to set us free. I believe Jesus wants us to take our eyes off of others, to stop saying, what about him? What about her? 
to turn back around to Jesus, to fix our eyes firmly on him and to say, Jesus, how can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I be faithful with what you've given me? Let me close with these words from the great Puritan commentator, Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry says this, when we find ourselves in such difficult circumstances, peculiar to us, let us pray this, Lord, and what shall I do then to approve myself faithful to such a trust and in such a trial? Lord, increase my faith as my day is. Let my strength be. Let that be our prayer this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, I believe that many of us are wrestling with discouragement. And Lord, it's so easy to believe it's because the things we have our eyes on do not belong to us. And yet the reality is, Lord, through your word, what we see plainly today is the primary reason we are discouraged is not the trials themselves, but it is the fruitless and discouraging task of comparison. Lord, let us take our eyes off of those around us whose unique sets of circumstances gifts, challenges, successes, blessings, whatever it might be. Let us take our, our eyes off of their unique calling. Let us turn back towards you. Let us put our eyes on you. And though like Peter, we desire to follow you, yet the truth is when we know that the calling includes suffering, it includes the cross, like Peter, our first instinct might honestly be, Lord, what about him? But by your Holy Spirit, I pray you would do for us what you did for Peter, that you would confirm the desire to follow you wholeheartedly with the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. Lord Jesus, let us look to you in this season. Help us to be content in you. Help us to trust that you ultimately are sovereign over our lives and that it is you who are willing ultimately our circumstances uniquely for us that we might be made more like you. Lord Jesus, help us to ask, how can I be faithful with what I've been given, including this trial? Lord, show us how we can be faithful. Show us what your purpose would be in this. Give us a word of encouragement. Bless your people. And Lord, use us to encourage others in their discouragement. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we go this morning, friends, I do have a number of announcements to give. Uh, first of all, for those that would like to continue this morning's worship through tithes and offerings, there are a couple of ways that you can do that. The first is you can go on to our website, which is imagechurchoc.com, and there's a giving tab up at the top, and you're able to click there and give using either a debit or credit card. 
For those of you that prefer to mail in a check or a money order, you can do that by sending it to our church mailing address, which is 27762 Antonio Parkway. L is in Larry 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California 92694. All that information again is on our website, which is imagechurchoc.com. Just want to invite you to a, a couple of things coming up. First of all, Wednesday night, we have our midweek Bible study at 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. So I want to encourage you to stay in the Word with us, travel through the Word of God. You know we all need to be fed daily. We need to eat and receive the meals that Jesus prepares for us. So I want to encourage you, Wednesday night, tune in 7 o'clock and hear the Word of God preached to you. Next Sunday, we will be meeting in person once again in San Juan Capistrano. So for all those that are uh, in the Southern California area, in the Orange County area, we would invite you to come and attend with us in person next week. Uh, pay attention. That is just a little bit of a different time. It's 1030. That's due to weather since we meet outside. All this information about the address and what to expect, where will be all that directions, is on our website. So go to imagechurchoc.com, and there's an events tab at the top, click events, and you'll see all the information that you need. And I would encourage you to invite a friend. Maybe somebody's looking for a church right now. Maybe they're not comfortable going to an indoor service, but they are comfortable going to an outdoor service. So I encourage you to extend an invitation to others to come, to fellowship, to praise the Lord, and to hear the Word of God. Again, if any of you have any Bible questions or prayer needs in response to this message, we would encourage you to send those to our email address, which is information at imagechurchoc.com. That's information at imagechurchoc.com. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining with us this morning. And let me just close with this prayer of blessing. Now, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in order that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for joining. Hope to join with you again very soon.